0: Hey, we're in uh, 1 Peter, we'll be in verses uh, 10 through 12 in chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, be turning there. And as you're doing that, we want to make sure, again, we have to remember that this is a letter, uh, and we got to hold it all, we have to try to hold it all together as we're moving along, all right? So we can't can't, uh, forget the things that he's already said to us, because they serve as so incredibly foundational to how we understand everything that Peter is trying to say to this church, uh, that is fairly new and, 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 um, and actually is a consequence of them being kicked out of Rome. So they've been scattered all over um, Southeast uh, or Asia Minor, which is what we know today to be Turkey. And so this church that has risen out of uh, a, a suffering consequence and will subsequently suffer as the days go on, Peter is trying to comfort them. So if you were trying to comfort somebody, uh, what do you usually start with, some good news or bad news? Well, it usually helps if you start with the good news a bit, right? Like if you, if you especially if it's true, that's really helpful too. Um, and so Peter starts with the great news, the great news of the gospel. And remember the, the term that we use, what's the term? What is he giving them? The indicative Uh, of the gospel, which is going to serve as foundational to the imperative, what he's going to tell them, uh, how they're supposed to live out this beautiful reality in their circumstance, which is hard to do when you're suffering. It's hard to be other-oriented when you're suffering and and so focused upon what you are going through. It's hard to, to be cognizant of what other people are enduring and what they may be facing when you yourself have a storm that's blown in on you. And so he wants them to remember who they are, whose they are, and why they're there. And so if you remember, he gave them uh, an identification. He referred to them in, in a way. So how does he refer to them? What are they? They're the elect exiles. And that's really important in terms of who they are because elect means what are they defined by first before anything else? Their relationship with God, which is critically important, that's gotta be first. And then, what is he telling them about their relationship to the world? What are they? They're exiles. They're not home. This isn't home. Now, we have to be careful with that language because it could mean that we don't care anything about what happens here. Is that true? No, in fact, Peter is going to go deep into why you should care deeply about what happens in this world, what's happening to other people. You cannot just turn a blind eye and hope for heaven with no interaction whatsoever in the, in the lives of others or in the life of the community because we are here, essentially, and this is language directly from Scripture, for the life of what? We're here for the life of the world. So it's not that we can just, just ignore what's going on around us. It's not that we only focus on um, uh, being he- of, of such heavenly mindedness that we're of no earthly good. That's not, that's not who we're called to be. And so even though he uses language, he calls them exiles and reminds them this world is not their home. He's going to spend a lot of time explaining to them what that then means for them, all right, how they're to live in light of this truth. And so it's their relationship to God and their relationship to the world that is critical to their understanding of who and where they are, which is important for us, too, because that same title applies to us. And that's critical for us to understand. We are still elect exiles. This world is still not our home, uh, and we're not going to be able to make it home. Christ is going to have to return and make all things new. Because I don't know about you, but given going back to that issue of suffering, it does grow tiresome. Because there's so many things within the frame of suffering that we just, we cannot answer. We, we, we just, we don't understand and we feel wholly inadequate, which is why I think we struggle to love each other well. Because we look to each other for some sort of answer, some sort of, uh, some sort of way forward. Um, you know, one of the, the things that happens a lot is people come to me and say, and some of you have said this and, and I'm not... This, I'm not calling you out uh, that have come to me and said this because we've talked about this, but they'll come and say, just give me the three steps to get out of this. I'll even take five, but I just need them to be clear. Well, here's the trouble with, with who we are and life in the gospel because we're first defined by relationship to God. I can illustrate it this way. Can somebody, and you can take as many steps as you like. You can go from one to 1,000 Tell me this, and it's got, it's got to get me there now. Remember, you can't just get me in the ballpark. You've got to get me to the destination. Tell me how to fall in love. Let me give you an easier one because you just look like you may not be able to get me there. <laughs> Tell me this. T- certainly you kids can answer this one, all right? We've got th- three right there on the row. Tell me how to find a best friend. Anybody want to help them? You can't tell me how to do that because that's relationship. Like, you can say, well, first of all, you got to be around some people. All right, that's a good step, right? Now we're starting to sound like Brian Regan making a Pop-Tart. Uh, and so, um, and so, so I, I get it. We, we do. We have to be in community. But you can't get me all the way there because there's just something there that, that, that cannot be orchestrated in all that. Um, and, and so it's important that we recognize that our who we are is a relationship and it cannot be reduced. This is the danger, this is the great danger of, of overly emphasizing systematic theology. <gasps> did a Presbyterian just say that? He did. Be, because we can distill it and we got stuff sticking out of the trunk and we don't know what to do with it. So we end up either cutting it off or hiding it under the bed. And so you can't, you got to be careful. And and parents, this is where you can do your children a great disservice. If you give them a gospel that is non-relational and truncated but easy to follow, non-relational, you will have crippled them. So you must help them dwell in the tension, which I know, of all the things y'all hate me saying, is that not one of the top? to dwell in the tension. Like, if he says that one more time, I'm going to dwell him in the tension. <laughs> uh, and I get it. I, I do all the time. Think about it. I'm, I'm the one that people are coming to going, dude, you got the degree. You give us an answer. And when I usually give one. So I don't like that one. How about another one? Um, and so I, I understand this is not... It's not easy, and this is why we need each other, and this is why we, we need the ver- variety of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us in the context of the church. This is why we have to be uh, students of Scripture to know the whole story instead of just part of the story. To only know part of the story is incredibly dangerous. I'm currently reading a book that I hate, uh, and, it's, and it's driving me crazy because it's, it's one of the most painful books I think I've ever read, and the title of the book is Betrayal. And it's the story of uh, the, the Protestant and Catholic Church in Nazi Germany. Um, and it's one of the most painful things I, I've, I've ever read because of uh, the, where they got to uh, in so many respects. And the conclusions they came to. At one point, there, there was a, the German Christian Movement, which uh, those are capitalized. Uh, they got rid of all the Jewish words in their hymns. You couldn't say Hosanna. You couldn't say Lord of Sabbath. You couldn't say any of that stuff. They got rid of all that because that's Jewish stuff. And guess what else they had to get rid of? Oh, by the way, there's something called the Old Testament in full, which, by the way, when you lop it off, you lop off, oh, God, the New Testament, as it turns out, since it's an explication of the Old Testament. And so what they were left with was a God of their own understanding. And you know the result. And so it's, it's, it's very painful For us not to dwell in the tension, it's very painful for us not to be students of Scripture as whole and be in community and be able to dwell in the tension. They were trying to resolve a tension, and it cost millions of people their lives. Now, you may say, well, what about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Confessing Church? They they did great on their side, but that was only a part of the coin. I mean, there were 600,000 people on the other side of the coin, you understand, who were part of the German Christian movement which was a national socialist organization, who had the swastika next to the crucifix in their churches, it was Hitler who told them to take it down because he didn't want them giving Nazis a bad name. How bad is that? And so this means something. This is not just casual. It's not something that we can take lightly. And so it's important that we know who we are and that we know the story and that we recognize it cannot be distilled to something overly simplistic, right? And that's what Peter's talking to him about. He's saying, I want you to dwell in the story. He's gonna tell us. There were people who, who, who longed to know the story that you know in full. There are angels who are looking down, who wanna see the end of this story, who love what they see in the church as she, as she moves toward Christ's return. And so I have to ask you this in light of that. What are you spending your time investing in? What are you learning? What are you cultivating for your growth and betterment? You're doing it whether you, you, you're aware of it or not. Whatever it is you're spending your time on is shaping you into Something. And are you aware of it? Is it an intentional shaping or are you just being shaped unbeknownst to you? Are you just kind of going along hoping it kind of works out on the other side without any real intentionality? Or are you being intentional about what you're investing in and learning and cultivating for your growth? Because it's like we've said before, there's nothing neutral. It's just not And so you have to be aware of those things because messages are being sent all the time and shaped. Um, You think about the predominant things in anything that comes out of uh, any sort of arts right now. There's a very definitive thing that they're cultivating, by and large. Do you know what it is? Do you know how it's shaping your children? Do you know how it's shaping you? Do you know how it's shaping the future of the church? which should be shaped in Christ alone. Now, did I just say, you can't read anything but the Bible? No, I I think that would actually be bad for you. I think you should engage other things to see how the the God of this universe is at work in everything in the world, that there really is no sacred, secular (laughs) distinction. I don't even know if that's a word. I may have just (laughs) made that up. But, but it is important that we, that we recognize that, that, that there are things all over. And sometimes it is important for us to see how people are uniquely broken so we can speak into that, so that we can share the gospel in that. Maybe we're not all equipped to engage in certain things. You have to know your limitations. And you can't be mad but that you have a limitation that someone else doesn't have. Because I'm 6'1", have the skill set of a center but the size of a point guard. What's my future in basketball? Nada. I can talk trash on the court, but I can't do much else, right? So I I can get angry about that. I would love to be able to sing. I wouldn't be a preacher for nothing. I'd be out making money in dive bars in a heartbeat, and God knew that, and that's why he didn't give me the voice of Johnny Cash. I'd love it if he did, but he didn't. I can be mad about that. I wish I knew mechanical stuff. My car still is broken down and nobody knows what's wrong with it. I think I'm going to go try an exorcism since that's about all I know how to do at this point. I don't even really know how to do that very well. Uh, And and it just sits there. uh, And the guys who know, they're going, I don't know. I I don't know how much they're going to charge me for this week-long diagnosis that we've netted nothing so far. I wish I understood mechanical things so much better than I do. I don't. You may say, but you can grow in that. Yeah, but you, you know, mechanical stuff, there's something, the way the brain works, my son's great at it, Jack Lane's great at it, some of you, fantastic, I'm, I'm envious uh, to the point of covetousness at times, of your gift. If my lawnmower breaks down, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm going to set it on fire and go buy a new one, I guess, I, I don't know. <laughs> but but you understand, like, like, we can be mad that we, we don't have certain abilities, and but, it's, you, but you need to work within what, how you're made. You need to be thankful for who you are and leverage your gifts for the good of the kingdom. And so Peter here is, is saying to us, listen, there was a group of people who invested in something and they cultivated something and it was for your good. And it was so that you would know the fullness of the gospel. And that's the same mindset that we should have for the next generation. And the generation's coming. Because it's not just about us. Think about, again, maybe you don't know the history, but if you know anything about theology and where liberal theology gave rise, what country did it rise from most succinctly? Germany. That was passed on to that church that sided with the socialists and the Nazis. And then that was passed on to make Europe one of the most godless places of any place at current That's the generational impact uh, that that was had in Europe. We have to be cognizant of these things. We have to be uh, mindful of what are we passing on. How are we living this out in such a way that the next generation would say, that, that is a relationship and a life and a living hope that I want. So listen to what Edmund Clowney says uh, about this passage. He says, the prophets picture the restoration of all That had been lost. The land, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood. But the restoration does not look back to recover the past. It looks forward to God's final renewal. God's fulfillment will transform everything. Eden will be restored and more. God will make a new creation where peace will be universal and darkness will be gone. So how are we living in such a way that we're passing that vision on to the next generation and showing them how to live that out and participate in a way that is meaningful for the life of the world? If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word as we step into 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully So here he's saying concerning this salvation. Now, what, what is this salvation? So we have to go back. It would, it would be helpful for us. I'm going to read to you what has come before. Uh, I'm not going to repreach that sermon, uh, but, but I, do, I do want us to hear the words again. Going all the way back to chapter, um, I'm sorry, verse 2, he says that you are the elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's a Trinitarian formula that has the Father, Son, and the Spirit involved, and so it takes the fullness of the Trinity. So our salvation is not something light. At times, I think we're terribly reductionistic about what salvation is instead of recognizing the fullness of it. So think about for a second, if it requires, if our salvation requires the full work of the Trinity, all three persons, all that power, all that glory, then why would we want to reduce it to something terribly simplistic and list-driven? See, it was something that occurred in eternity past. I, yeah, my mind just, I just got blown. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't even consider how, what all that means that God would choose us before the foundation of the world. I don't understand that, but I'm glad that it's true because it means that we who had no chance whatsoever, right? So who in here could say, I, by virtue of my family, by virtue of where I was born, by virtue of my job, by virtue of something in and of yourself, have a right to salvation? Who could say that? None of you. Then praise God by the foreknowledge that he had before the foundation of the world that he chose you in himself. That is good news. And then it goes on to say that you're you're not just now left, that you are in this life, in the sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit has come and the power of the word to help you now live out that reality. And you have been set apart, made holy. You have been set apart Redeemed in the blood of Christ. Exodus language. Then he goes on to say, he gives even a fuller explication of what this means this salvation. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I want to pause right there. Now, you, you often have heard us, and, and we read it every week in the confession of sin, that, that we say we are saved. Um, Uh, Through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. This is exactly where that formula comes from. Notice, it is by God's grace alone that you are who you are. It's according to His great mercy and Him causing us to be born again through nothing that we brought to the table. Because we all know that what we bring to the table in and of ourselves apart from Christ. It's just not meaningful. It's not enough. It's not that it's all bad. It's just it can't be good enough. It's not eternal. It can't last. And so by his grace alone, and then it goes on, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is in Christ alone. Who else could rise from the dead and give that to you? Who else could rise from the dead and grant you something that is kept in heaven for you? Who else could rise from the dead and give you something that doesn't perish, it doesn't fade, and it cannot be altered at all? It is perfect in its inception and remains so until he comes again. So it's, in, it's through grace alone, in Christ alone, and here comes the last part. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So it is through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. Though we don't currently see Christ in his humanity, we see the evidences of Christ in, uh, in the church. We see the evidences of Christ and how we love and care for one another. We see the evidences of Christ and how we are changing, but we don't see Christ yet in full. And so the definition of faith is to believe in that which you can't currently see but that you hope in. And so what Peter is saying to us is he's saying concerning this salvation, meaning through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now this is interesting language and I think it's really important for us. They searched and they inquired carefully. They were not casual about it. They didn't read one verse and create an entire doctrine, theology, book, website, blog post, and podcast out of it. No, instead, they were very careful. They knew that before they could open their mouths, which is why, if you remember, as we've gone through the prophets, which of them was excited to be the mouthpiece of God? None of them. All of them were reticent and recognized the weight of the fire in their bones. Even Jeremiah has to say, look, it had to threaten to consume me before I could open my mouth. It's almost as if they're saying something like Christ said, Lord, if there be any other way. And then they submit as Christ did, but not my will. Your will be done. I will be your mouthpiece. See, they were careful as too many modern prophets are not. And that is oftentimes one of the great distinguishers is that they were so careful to make sure that they talked about this one thing. Notice what he says. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They had one message. And what is it? God loves you. Christ is coming. This is how then you should live. You may say, that sounds like three messages. No, it's all one message. You can't divorce any of it from the other. God's love for you is expressed in Christ's coming. Christ's coming demands that we live in a way that displays that glory which is now given to us. We don't like that word demand. We don't. We're good Americans. Right? Right? And we're great individualists and demands mean accountability and accountability means community and community means vulnerability and vulnerability means all kind of stuff that none of us like. And so, but that's the demand, right? So the prophets, that's what they were doing. They were announcing God loves you. The Messiah's coming. Here's how then you should live. And they were so careful to make sure that they had that message right. And notice how gracious God is. Notice the sovereignty of the Lord when it says the Spirit of Christ was in them. Now in John 14 and John 16, it says very clearly that that the Holy Spirit's entire purpose is not to make us look awesome. It's not to give us some sort of experience divorced from Christ. It is always, always, always to declare the glory of Christ. He's always testifying of Christ and Christ alone. Which means he's testifying of your salvation through grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. And so the spirit of Christ was dwelling in them because of the sovereignty of God. Because not only were they careful to make sure they got it right. God was deeply concerned that they got it right. God was deeply concerned that you got to hear the true gospel, not all of the different distortions. And you may say, well, then how do the distortions get out? Because we are a persistent rebel. We are demanding at times that, no, I don't want God's grace alone. I want a say. I want my work to be judged, but not by you, by me wait, how does that work again? You want your work to be judged, but you're going to be the judge? But isn't that what most of us are saying? And, as we've said before, I love swift justice for y'all. I love me some cheap grace for me. I love it when I get to decide your justice and my grace, which makes me what? the God of my own understanding. And so there are times when God says, all right, if this is what you want, I'll let you have it for a while. But even that has a purpose, doesn't it? What's the purpose of all judgment and discipline? Restoration. If you notice, judgment always precedes salvation. It's always to shake the tree so that people will come. It's always preceding restoration. And so what we have is a God who is careful, prophets who are careful to make sure that the coming generations would hear the truth and the beauty and the fullness of the gospel even though they weren't going to get to see it. Can you imagine? They knew we will not see it in our generation. We will die. One of the most moving stories to me is uh, the two is David when he longs to build the temple. And God says, You can't. You got too much innocent blood on your hands. I love you, but you're not going to build that temple. And then when Moses, who has fought so hard and gone so far and been through so much, stands and can see the promised land. And God says, No. You will not see that promised land. There's a greater one you will see. But this one you will not see. I will bury you here myself. And so there's ways in which the prophets were not going to be able to see all of this power and all of this glory and yet they were willing to suffer for the greater good. Now you may say, well, how did they get saved same way we do through grace alone? And what they would have understood to be the Messiah or Christ alone, by faith alone. Wasn't different. It just wasn't as clear and as full as what we have. And here's what you need to understand. As we sit here this morning, we have it even fuller than the folks who read this letter. We have... The, the, the landslide of church history and God's display of his faithfulness and grace in greater measure than they did, and it's been recorded in greater measure than what they would have seen. The generations who will come after us, if the Lord wills additional generations, will be able to see greater than what we've seen. Now, what role do you want to play in that? I've, I've said to the staff many times, I hope someday, some. Poor sapsucker, and that's a bird, by the way, yellow-bellied sapsucker. Look it up. Is that right, Tom? Thank you. Uh, He's got an app that will give you the bird sound. We didn't have it queued up. But anyway, some yellow-bellied sapsucker in the church is going to not know who I am. He won't know my name at all, but he'll say, Man, I am so thankful for whoever led this generation of people so that I've got something to work with that, that, that the, the people that will be handed to off in the next generation, that they will so know the gospel, it'll be a blessing to the church and a blessing to the community, but my name will not be known in any way, shape, or form. And, that, and I'll know, because uh, you know, maybe I'll be in heaven, not maybe, I'll be in heaven if, if it all works out like that, and, and I'll come running up that guy, I'll say, I was that yellow-bellied sapsucker that you, you know, and we'll, we'll celebrate all that, the, that God's gonna do, not because I did anything, because God is good. But we should long for better to go on, right? So, are we, are we interested in building a building just for ourselves because we're tired of setup and teardown? That someday will turn into, I don't know, a nightclub over by the skate park because we failed to train up the next generation, like many of the churches in downtown Atlanta, that have become nightclubs and destination spots beautiful in exterior, horrific in what is happening on the interior, potentially? Are we interested in building something that will be generational? And so these folks were interested in making sure that the glory of the gospel went forward, though they themselves would not bear witness to it directly. And it says that they wanted to know about the sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ. This is the crucifixion and the resurrection. He goes on to say, It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things into which angels long to look into. Peter, again, is making it very clear this is not your message to do with what you will. And I tremble at that. As, uh, and, and I know that you know, this was so difficult about what, what I'm called and others who are called Robbie, Matt, uh, West, others who preach, we have to be careful. I know sometimes you're wondering, yeah, you probably should do better. And I've been, I've been really moved by that afresh. I was listening to a, a, a podcast by Sinclair Ferguson. He was doing this thing called the Dendelt Lectures at Westminster West. And he had almost a throwaway comment about 2 Corinthians 5, and I think it's verse 16. That's a a passage in full I've quoted many times about ambassadors of reconciliation. But there was a part that really struck me like a lightning bolt, unlike before. He says this. It says, we no longer regard you according to the flesh. I want to confess to you and I want to repent. There have been times I've regarded you according to the flesh. There have been times from right here, I've talked to you according to the flesh. I've come after you according to the flesh. That doesn't mean I'm going to be nice all the time, just so we're clear on that. Sometimes the gospel has to be confrontational. But but I was struck by and, and moved by and longing for a greater heart after God's own heart. A heart that is shepherding like His that will love you not according to the flesh. Not according to my limitations. Not according to my weaknesses. Not according to my strengths even. But according to Christ's heart. Because the same way that they do, I long for you to know the gospel. And so... And I long for you to know it according to the Holy Spirit. And I long for that what goes on in your life as the angels look down, they would celebrate. And I long for our church to bear fruit and to see people come to Christ. Remember, all of heaven breaks out into some kind of party whenever one lost sheep comes home. We, we, We ought to celebrate and do better too. And so... Here, what Peter is saying to them is there's been a lot of people who've made sure that you have what you have. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. There's been a lot of blood shed to get this to you. Christ, most of all, do something with it for the life of the world. You have been granted this wonderful gospel and moment. And I know for many of you are saying, but I I am in the middle of such suffering. Glorify Christ, suffer well. What does that mean? I don't know. It's dynamic and it's tension and you got to stand in it and invite us to stand with you. Um, Invite us to come alongside you. Forgive us when we fail to be perfect as you are imperfect. And so may we all together do that. No one does that individually. Listen to what Paul Gardner, uh, he used to be the pastor down at Christ Church in Buckhead, uh, says about this passage. He says, it is one of the more glorious teachings of Scripture that God planned in advance the grace that was to come to Christians. God's revelation to the prophets therefore concerned this great plan in which he would eventually reveal the depth of his faithful, loving mercy towards men and women living in sin and under his judgment. Here, Peter assumes, as do all the New Testament writers, that the prophets of the Old Testament foretold the coming of Christ, the age of the new covenant, and the time when God's salvation would be fully revealed on earth. So as we stand in a fuller understanding of the beauty of the gospel and God's faithfulness, let me ask you this. What are are some ways, and this would be good for you to consider on this Lord's Day, Sabbath, what are some ways in which you've benefited? What are some ways in which you've been blessed by the unfolding mystery? What are some ways in which you maybe have learned something uh, new that ain't really new? about Christ and your relationship to him within the last few months or a year? And then more importantly, what fruit has been born of this? And how can you celebrate it with your family so that your family, your children see you're not just trying to create little radical moral deists doing sin management. And I say this often, and I wish somebody had said this to me sooner, Uh, or I'd come to this conclusion sooner, just remember whatever age your child is, that's not what you're trying to raise. You do not want your child being an excellent 12-year-old long into their 20s. You don't. So you got to be careful that you don't cripple them and cause them to stay there because you don't give them anything more dynamic than that. We have to learn how to live in our freedom and it begins with helping our children live in the dynamics of a broken and fallen world into which God condescended and is making all things new someday. And helping our children see what that looks like because we mirror it. We're not just, it's not that you dog custom in the car And then, as you got out and saw me standing there, you're like, oh, hey, Pastor, I didn't see you. (laughs) You hear me, did you? I did. And I love you. And Christ loves you. Now go inside and receive. A friend of mine recently said this, and I think if we greeted each other this way, it'd probably be helpful. They said, I'm so sorry for being so crappy. And I said, well, that's how we ought to all just walk up. and am like, hey, Joe, let me get this out of the way. I'm so sorry for being so crappy, but Christ be with you. Cody, hey, man, so sorry for being crappy, failing to live up to everything I've set up for myself and being imperfect. Christ be with you too. And on it goes, right? If we would recognize that perfection's not the problem, that's been dealt with. You can't be it. You can't live up to it. So stop trying. Recognize who we actually are. And remember, it's not that you just stop there. That's why you can say, Christ be with you. And with you also. Because we know that that doesn't have the final say. And we recognize that we are still becoming, right? While we are sealed in Christ and who we are is a fixed reality, we have been perfected in Christ as we stand before God. We spend our lives discovering what that truly means. And so, live in such a way that you're asking each day, what does it mean today, Lord? What does it mean even as I sit on the ash heap? What does it mean even as I dwell in darkness confused? What does it mean even in great joy and gladness. What does it mean in the mundane? What does it mean? problem is I don't think we're asking. So often as people share prayer requests, what I hear is this. If I say, hey, how you doing? Had a good week. Had a good week. Card breakdown like yours did. Uh, And I didn't mess up this week. Let me ask you this. Is that living life more abundant to just not mess up this week? Does that sound like springs of living water to you? Would I, I'd love it if what we got into was, was a greater concern for living the fullness of the Christian life, and that would be reflected even in our prayer requests, even in our declarations of praise. But the problem is, I think we're just our main concern is are we keeping the slate clean? And we're passing that on to the next generation because it was passed on to you. Now, what are we going to do to put a better message on the board? 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 teaches us this, that we have the benefit of living out the gospel in fuller measure than that which the prophets who only saw it in part and the angels long to see come to fruition. Let me close uh, this sermon with this passage, and I've always loved this passage because I think it's reflective of the prophets as well. They endured the shame of, you you gotta understand, they endured all of the mocking and the cultural shame for the joy that was set before them, which is that you would come to know Christ. Hebrews 12, one through three says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for so great a cloud of witnesses that there are people who go back way beyond any of our knowledge and, and, and who have ensured that we would receive the gospel that we've received, that we would be confronted with the gospel that we've been confronted with, that we would be comforted by the gospel that we've been comforted with. Thank you for them all, even the ones that we don't know their name. We do give you thanks to the prophets who endured so much shame and mocking. And we thank you even more for Christ who endured the worst of all, crucifixion and death on a cross as an innocent man, forsaken. He died and he rose again and we give you thanks for that and he has ascended and he intercedes for us even now as we are here where you dwell with us, your people. God, I pray that we, we would recognize and rejoice in the fuller gospel that we have received and the greater evidences of your faithfulness. May we be willing to study that just as diligently and pass it on to the next generation in a living way, and that it would be a living hope that would make them born again, that would raise them to newness of life, to help them live life in full as we ought be doing. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.